there's times when Mark will wake up from a sleep and then he'll just say, I had a terrible nightmare. And you'll either be about something that did happen or about a fear of what might have happened when he was out there. Welcome to the podcast where we track down Australian war veterans, have a chat with them and hear their stories. I'm Alex Lloyd and this is Life on the Line. The only thing I was scared of was failing, with letting down the people there that I was supposed to support. Things went south really bad. You've got to have an element of crazy to be good at what we do. There was an ego attached to being a gunfighter. Being around big, tall trees, thick shrubbery, potentially connecting to other moments in his life during battle. The story of transformation is powerful. Welcome to Life on the Line. On this show, our guests have often commented on just how vital the support of a partner or a loved one has been to them, that not enough is said of just what a difference it is they make. In number 82, John Cantwell, the former Major General, said this to Angus Horden. And so many of our servicemen and, and women rely on their partners in ways that just aren't applauded enough. I could quote a lot more comments we've recorded like that over the past four years. So we thought it was time not only to give the partners of our servicemen and servicewomen the recognition they deserve, but to give them a voice. This is our first partners episode, and we hope to do more in the future. This conversation is with the wife of an ex-SAS officer I interviewed back in season two. Number 28, Mark Wales. All I wanted for me was to come home. I think they just wanted to make sure their brother came back in one piece. Samantha Gash is a professional endurance athlete, social entrepreneur, and a motivational speaker. She's run over 20,000 kilometers across every continent on earth and raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for charity while advocating for women's empowerment, social change, and access to education. In 2017, she was a contestant on the reality TV show, Australian Survivor, where she met former SAS officer, Mark Wales. Sam and Mark are now married and have one young son, Harry Locke Wales. Sam, welcome to Life on the Line. Thanks for having me. We're talking today, Sam, about your experiences of being a partner of a military veteran. But before we get to you and Mark, I wanted to get a bit of background on your own perceptions of military before meeting him. Do you have any military history in your family? I have a little bit of military background on my both my mum and my dad's side. My dad's dad was in the Czech army. I more thought from the perspective of when he was getting older, the effects that time of his life had on him in his final couple of months of his life. He would be speaking a lot about the stories then. Yeah, it was a really tough time for him when he was passing, I think, because of those experiences. It's almost like he was trying to shed some of those experiences in his final few days. And I remember when we were younger, my sister and I, he lived up in the Danong Ranges, which is actually where I live now, but I, we didn't live kind of close to here beforehand. So my, my family would drive up to the Danong Ranges. My dad would have a little hand recorder. He just had it ready in case grandpa ever started to speak about what happened during that time. And so they would have a couple of whiskeys and then grandpa would become a little bit more open with his conversations. And I just remember Cassandra and I sitting on these green 
slightly uncomfortable chairs and my dad looking at me going, do not interrupt right now. And he'd put the tape recorder out and he would just be recording the stories. So it didn't make a huge amount of sense to me when I was younger. You know, it was very colourful and, and violent at times and my grandpa was very passionate when he was speaking and I just remember my mum and dad glued to it. So my mum is very much into genealogy. She likes to record stories. She likes to know what the family tree is going all the way back on both her side and my dad's side. So there has been like a historical, I guess, interest from my family and my sister and I have been privy to that but not being on the inside of that. Beyond that, I had a friend who was in the throes of selection when I first met Mark. And when I met him on Survivor, Mark reminds me that I was actually talking to him, not knowing that he had been in the military. I was chatting to him about, oh, I've got this friend and he's doing selection right now. There's a lot of time on the show to just chat to people. And Mark reminds me that he was like, oh my goodness, she must know who I am and, and what I've done. That's really funny. And what's your memory of 9-11, Sam? I remember it quite vividly because I was a debater at high school and I had just come back from a debating tournament and I was at a friend's house and we were talking about the debate and we saw it live on the TV that night time and we didn't actually understand what it was. And I remember seeing it, not kind of connecting and because we were so in the throes of what just happened in our debate, I remember walking out and it was in the morning that I had realised what had happened. And that's an event that anyone who was sort of conscious at that point in life remembers where they were and their perception of it. And I think we all immediately recognized the world had changed. And for guys and girls I usually speak to in the military, the world changes because if they're in the military at the time, they know their job's going to change. Or if they have military aspirations, what that means for them is going to change, etc. For someone like you who's not in, what was your immediate thoughts on this is changing the world? I was a high school student, but I was a socially connected, I was aware of international relations. You know, I wanted to work for the UN at the time. That was kind of my my long-term aspirations. So I just remember feeling like my life was on pause and all that seemed to matter was what was happening in that situation at the time. I just felt like that's all the conversations that were being having. And when I just realized what was going on, I remember absorbing like every piece of article that I could find to try and understand it. And I couldn't understand it at the time. And I should mention, of course, I omitted it in your bio, but you actually were a lawyer and you started running as a, I guess, a release from practicing. And then you ran away from law quite literally. (laughs) I don't think at the very, very early stages I was trying to run away from the law. I was just trying to find things that pushed me beyond my known. And even though it was incredibly competitive and and challenging to get into the legal space and, you know, to get a job at a top tier corporate law firm, it just seemed very predictable. And I, I knew what that path was all about. And so starting in the world of ultramarathons was a deviation for me to kind of throw caution to the wind and just see how I cope in change. Because if I was to be realistic about myself, I was definitely someone who is drawn to doing things when I know exactly what it's going to look like, the journey and the end destination. So ultramarathons was throwing a spanner in the works, treating it as a once in a lifetime opportunity, and then realizing maybe life is meant to be on the edge a bit more. Let's jump back to 2017 when you're meeting Mark. What's your first memory of meeting this very tall, handsome dude? (laughs) The show is very absorbing that every person that you see, you're trying to analyze who they are. Is this person going to be someone that I want to work with or is this someone that I'm going to try and maybe avoid? 
Mark was one of the first people I saw, maybe not just because of his physical presence, but we were actually put into the same boat going across to the island. And I just remember thinking, why is he wearing tight jeans and a leather jacket (laughs) and snakeskin boots? So I thought his choice in attire was interesting, to say the least. And so if everyone personally, like you make quite critical decisions about the clothes that you're going to wear because you want them to serve a certain purpose. I had this massive oversized hooded jacket that I wrapped around my waist. And I remember production was like, that doesn't look like that fits you, that jacket. And I'm like, no, I like to wear things that are just a little bit baggy. But reality was I took it so it could be a blanket. And so I was just trying to think in my mind, like, why did he choose those items? And he was positioned on that very first scene on this old school car and they put him on the bonnet and they sat me on a crate of eggplants. And the instruction was by production, I don't want you to sit on the eggplants. I actually just want you to sit on the rim like of this crate. I just remember thinking of status right then. Here I am sitting on the rim of a crate of eggplants. My ass was on fire within like an hour of sitting on it. And then this guy gets to sit on this like bonnet of a car and he was laying on it when we weren't kind of shooting the shot at that time. So I just kind of having a little giggle to myself going, oh, wow, I know where I sit right now. I understand Mark's marketing intention with the kill capture jackets, but I don't think he is, was thinking long-term enough with the practical implications of that. I think he did in the end. Like that jacket was a saviour for us out on the island. So because obviously we were close on the island, I got to receive the benefits of the warmth of that jacket and it protects me physically many of the night times because it was, it was absolutely brutally cold. Well, you and Mark are a quick power couple on Survivor. You don't survive tribal council, but your love does. (laughs) Yeah. And I will say that I didn't know anything about Mark on that show. All I knew on the show is that he was very quiet, probably the person that gave the least information about himself unless he was asked questions. I now know he had this story that he focused definitely on like that he was a consultant, which wasn't a lie. Like he was a consultant at the time working for McKinsey. But I remember thinking there's like a decade of this guy's life. The timeline doesn't work out, but I still seem to trust him enough to kind of go, there's not clear decade in his like twenties that he's he's shared with me, but I trust him enough to kind of want to work with him. And he was the only person on the island when I walked away from it that I was like, I feel like he was still being honest to me. And then I get off the island and I Google his name and then I find this article, this article from New York City from this bold magazine that said like, SAS, veteran. And I'm like, he lied to me. (laughs) He lied to me. What else was a lie? You get a psychologist who comes to you afterwards and you're kind of churning through all the information of what everyone says to you. And all I kept going through in my mind is, you know, did I get played by that guy? We do all these confessionals, which kind of get embedded throughout play of the scenes that tries to form the narrative of the show. And they would always ask me, like, who do you trust? And I would always say, like, I trust Mark. And I just didn't want to seem like a fool that I had verbalized that I trusted someone who played me the entire way. So this psychologist came past and I, he can't tell me much about it, but I did say to him, did I get played by Mark? Like, was he just stringing me along the entire time? And he's like, no, he actually wasn't. You guys were close out there. Guess that's kind of all I needed at the time to know that friendship was real. And then it gets to translate off camera into the real world without the cameras watching. So how's that first conversation? So about that other decade of your life, I Googled you. Yeah, well, he only got booted a couple of days after me and he called me from the airport in Samoa, which you're not allowed to do. You're not really meant to make a phone call until you get home. But Mark called me and 
I just was like, oh my goodness, you didn't tell me (laughs) that you're in the SAS. And because I had a personal connection with the SAS because my friend was going through selection, I knew some of those details. So I, I understood the significance of that job. And I was impressed by it. And I was also like, this guy has a story. There's, there's a lot to this person. And I was definitely intrigued. It was probably a couple of days had passed. And then I flew over to Perth to meet Mark. And we drove down to Margaret River. We stayed in a caravan park actually in Yellingup. And we basically were both sick still from Survivor. So we had like diarrhea. So we're like contesting for the toilet. It's very romantic. So romantic. But we're sharing our experiences from the show. We're reading books and Mark is telling me stories about, you know, his time in the SAS. And I feel like that point in time is actually when I dug the deepest actually of Mark's experiences because we stayed in that caravan park. I don't even know, like once again, time stood still and he just started to reveal some of the layers and, you know, what I have learned about, you know, those who serve in the military, they may reveal layers, but they reveal the layers that they are happy to show at certain times. And I feel that I will never truly understand well, how can you possibly understand every aspect of his time serving in the military? But there'll be certain things that happen in our real life now that might trigger a certain recollection or experience, or there'll be a block based on those experiences. And sometimes I get to learn another part of Mark's life back then. Knowing Mark from my perspective, I know of his childhood dream to join the SAS and then he builds himself over years to finally achieve that dream. And then when he gets to live the dream, he also sees that some nightmares come with it. It comes with some harsh realities. You didn't get to see that before and after of Mark in his time with the SAS. You only got to meet him in the after. When Mark was starting to tell you stories of the kind of work they did over in Afghanistan to specific incidents of trauma, like seeing a mate and mentor, I'm thinking Sergeant Matthew Locke in particular, be gunned down in front of him. How did this information shape your perspective of Mark as a person? I feel my relationship with Mark is is different than any relationship that I've ever had before. And, you know, of course, each relationship is unique, but I feel like the way that you show up in relationships can typically be the same. But the way I show up in this relationship is probably different than I have before because of what Mark has gone through. And I think because of that and my respect levels for that, I have a lot of patience for him, probably more than I, you know, I could ever have imagined that I do. He is incredibly intelligent He's an incredible storyteller and I think because he now is a corporate speaker, I get to hear different parts of it and I definitely know a lot about the pre-selection dreams like you just talked about. But every now and again I get, you know, to hear some of those stories and, you know, there's times when Mark will wake up from a sleep and then he'll just say, I had a terrible nightmare. And it'll either be about something that did happen or about a fear of what might have happened when he was out there, like being caught and being with your mates and kind of, having no control over that situation. I would say it's a part of our daily existence, but it manifests itself in different ways, either through the storytelling or through how it affects how Mark is in just day-to-day life. How do you feel Mark changed over time? I don't just mean in that he could open up to you more and feel safer with you, but as he settled into a life with you and the birth of your son, have you seen a change in him over time? Anyone who has a child changes, and I think pre-having Harry, Mark was very career-focused, was living a very independent life. He was with the Australian military for 16 years, six of those with the SAS, and so much of his life obviously was extreme and travelling and all that kind of stuff, but it was not under his own control. And so when he finished that time, like it was about 
living different experiences that he had complete control over all those facets. So going and doing his MBA at Warden, so going to Philadelphia and then coming back to Australia for a couple of years and then moving over to the US. And Mark has this thing that if he's going to do something, he's going to do it really, really well. And so he has a very high expectation of, you know, if he's going to go to an MBA school, he's going to go to one of the best in the world. And if he's going to go to a management consulting company, he's going to go to the best in the world. And he's going to go to the most frenetically busy and successfully perceived city like New York City. So that's the life that Mark was leading before meeting me. And then he meets me, we fall pregnant and he moves to the Dandenong Ranges, which is in the middle of a national park, it's 35 kilometres from a city, uh, the Melbourne city. His family are on the West Coast, but now he's being based in Australia and he's feeling that distance from his family uh, and we're creating our own family. So from falling pregnant to having Harry, it was a really challenging time of adaption, of a change of life for both of us, but I feel like the shift for Mark was really, really hard. And I think once you fall pregnant you naturally have the hormones that start to make you connected to the fact that you're going to become a mother. And I remember in the early days of being pregnant, there was this resistance from Mark that, oh my goodness, the life that he'd worked so hard to create for himself was changing and he took time to become comfortable with that. But then Harry was born and he was just all in. Changed overnight the moment he saw Harry come into the world and he's a very even though I know he doesn't love living in the Dandenong Ranges, Mark has a real need to be near the coast. I think the water is something that calms him down and being around big, tall trees, thick shrubbery potentially connects him to other moments in his life during battle. And I'm only starting to understand that recently. So I took him for a trail run the other week and Mark just wouldn't let it go. Like I go out into the mountains and I run and I feel really calm and relaxed and I love that environment of, of moving in big trees. And Mark was just uptight. And he just said to me suddenly, do you not understand what it's like for me to be in this environment sometimes, like what it takes me back to? This isn't recreation and pleasure for me. This is taking me back to when I was in the military. That was kind of the first time that I was like, oh, that's why he wants to walk around the lake. He doesn't want to walk in the thick of the national park. I mean, I'm still making discoveries every day. And as I think he's also making discoveries about how that time has affected him. And I think I've probably gone off your question right now, but I think Every day the layers are getting revealed to both of us and we're navigating how the impact that that time will have on not just Mark but on the entire family. And I will say like there's beautiful benefits and positives from that time but it is sometimes easier to focus on the trauma that that time has played on his life. It's something that affects your day-to-day. You're making discoveries constantly. So is he. Whenever two people get together in a relationship, you're signing up to be open to all parts of them, their family, their backstory, whatever they're bringing with them from their previous life and so on. But there's something extra about the extremity of what Mark has been through. And the same for anyone who served, I think, in emergency services or the military, any kind of extreme high pressure job like that. There's always something perhaps more that they've brought with them. And the military is such this other surreal world. Tier one level combat over in Afghanistan it's quite something else to be bringing to a relationship table. And you're talking about how he's, you know, it's affecting his perception of where you guys live now or go for runs. And I know he was upfront from that the moment you two got off Survivor and were sharing the stories and such, but it's an extra weight you have to carry into the relationship. Yeah, definitely. It's a different element of the relationship that I never imagined. 
I'm very relaxed and probably a little bit cavalier with my safety at times. So because he's been in those situations where his job was to think of worst case scenario and mitigate from that, he'd often be in the worst case scenario and then he'd have to deal with that. So he can't help but have his mind go to that in everyday situations of life. So I'm an ultra runner. And when we first got together, I was asked to do an ultra marathon in Tunisia. And Mark's like, no way, like, we're not going to Tunisia. And I was just like, why? Like, I've always just gone anywhere. Like, I'm, I'm, my mind is so open to travel and experience and cultures. And I see the expansive openness and the positive of something. And Mark can't help his mind go to, well, you know, this, this and this is happening in that region right now. And he might have personal relationships with parts of that region. So that's, it affects where we travel around the world, or at least his perception of where he wants to at least travel around the world. On a more simple level, like on a day-to-day level, there's so many. And you try not to always think about it in connection with his time in the military. But, you know, even when I I went to New Zealand with Harry, when I had to do a keynote speaking engagement for Kathmandu, and then I travelled around New Zealand with a friend and Harry, and his, our son, his name's Harry, and he was six months old at the time. And I went on a zip line with Harry, like a really low key zip line. And I had him strapped to my back and I knew that would bother Mark. And I took a video of it and I sent it to him. And I'm like, oh, made a little joke of it. But I'm sure that really was of concern to him that I wouldn't always think of the worst case scenario. But for me, I'm like, okay, I'm taking safety precautions. I feel comfortable in this space. I do my own risk mitigation due diligence, just like any mum would. But he has it heightened 100% to what I would think. Sure, but you're both balancing each other out in sensible ways. He might raise a valid concern about Tunisia, but you can also push his boundaries and say, I understand where you're coming from with this and why you're thinking this way, but open to live life more. And so it's good you can push each other. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he, after three years or four years of being together, he's still in the Dandenong Ranges and is starting to see the beauty, firstly, of living so remotely but he now also sees the beauty of training in the outdoors and he's learning to you know not think that he's on I'm going to use the wrong word like surveillance when he's on you know outdoors he can actually relax be present and find enjoyment of it and he had to do that because we we did a race called eco challenge last year it was a 700 kilometer adventure race in Fiji it's filmed as a 10-part series for Amazon Prime and Bear Grylls is the host of it. I think it's going to air in a couple of months. But we had to do our training here and we had to train for hours every week. And I think Mark, he obviously has a regimented discipline to training, which is actually awesome, but he did learn to relax. And I think that, is, that was a big thing for him to have fun in an environment where it didn't used to be about play. What are some of the positive things that you feel Mark's taken from his time in the military that contributes to your life together and your lives as parents? Uh, His relationship with his friends. The people that he served with are family. They're not just family for him, but they're now family for me and Harry. And there's a beautiful network of guys that as I said, are an extension of our family. And every time we travel to where they live, it's always, we consider our year and go, okay, how can we physically be in connection with these people? Mark's not a big on the phone person. For him, he wants to be right in front, chatting with them, seeing their family members. So I think that's a beautiful positive because I've lived a little bit more of a transient life. And so I have friends from different parts of my life, but he has this core group of, you know, 10, 12 guys and and a lot more as well that 
he would go to the edge of the world with if they called him up for any reason, like financial problem, you know, any problem in their life, all of those guys are there for each other. And they don't even need to know the circumstances. They just need to know what's your problem and how can I help? I love that about Mark. I love his relationships with his friends. And I love that his friends are connected to me in the same way that they're connected to Mark. You know, obviously not having gone through the same things as them, but their care and love for me is the same. Another positive is Mark is so organized and I'm a little bit less organized in the home front and our home has never (laughs) flourished as much as since he's been there because he just loves to have these, you know, he loves to create systems and because I'm an adventure racer, like I have so much gear and Mark likes order and structure and to protect the belongings that you have and so I feel he's kind of created this structure in my life that maybe that I was lacking because I, I spent so much of my time traveling away. But I feel like Mark kind of approached it if if I'm going to be based somewhere, I'm going to take pride in the space that I'm in and I'm going to create some kind of order in it. Beyond anything, Mark knows, even though he's so connected to his friends and he loves his family, we are his everything. You know, myself and Harry are Mark's world and we are a very tight family. We do everything together. So if we do travel, we typically go as the three of us, even when we, we work a lot around the country. The corporate speaking engagements, we try and take the family unit. And I think it's so important when you live lives that have you on the move to try and stay connected together as that family has been very important for me. Sam, you certainly sound like a very loving, patient and understanding partner, but your support of Mark isn't just contained to the interactions between you two. You're quite a public speaker as we've covered already, but I understand that It was you who's actually got Mark, well, encouraged Mark to open up about his service, talk about it and get on that corporate speaking circuit. Use that as a tool for processing. You know, I believe in Mark so much. His experiences and why our relationship works so well, I think, because I have so much respect for who he is as a person, how he has used his experiences, both the positive and the negative, to transform himself into different walks of life as a business person, as an entrepreneur, but also as an employee, as a father. His story of transformation is powerful. It's been powerful for me and I, it's powerful for people you know, all around the world. And he's a great storyteller. When we left Survivor, Mark was down in Melbourne and I was meeting a new agent and I was like, Mark, I think you should come with me. And like I always do, like I can't help but talk about how great Mark is when I'm in the company of other people. And it's because I genuinely believe it. It's not like I was trying to force him into the speaking industry. I just wanted to explain who is this man that I've chosen to be by my side. And I was talking about him and the agents who were in front of us were like, oh my goodness, we love this story. And I was like, it's an incredible story. And I do feel in in the early times of our relationship, I could talk about Mark's story better than he could talk about his story. Not like the detail, but in terms of like the blueprint of, you know, he did this and then he did that and he did that. He he could never openly to his horn. Um, And I don't even think he realized how many incredible things that he had done in terms of massive milestones. And I think the more that he heard other people positively receive them, the more effort he put into filling the gaps because no one's life is interesting based on their highlights reel. What's interesting about someone's life is the in-between. Like what's the struggle between those two points of success? What's the blocks in the road? He's learned to be very vulnerable and open and sharing those stories. He's become a very successful corporate speaker and I think it is cathartic for him. I think in the early days of developing his keynote, it was 
challenging. Like he talks about his mum passing. He talks about, you know, Matt Locke passing. And I remember the first few times that he practiced his keynote in front of me, he would, even makes me sad thinking about it, like he would just start crying and I would be standing opposite him, you know, hearing him upset telling those stories. Um, And there's just such power in him feeling comfortable to open up. No, he doesn't cry every time he shares that story, but sometimes it still does because he's so in the moment. And that's what I think makes a great speaker that they're able to tell a story from the past, but still be in it. But if you're a professional, you don't let it traumatize you every time. Whose idea was your son's middle name? I think it was Mark, but I think I was very supportive of it. And to be honest, I don't know. Like we were like, yes, 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 for the Harry Locke, you know, obviously Wales. Um, you know, it's probably the thing that we've debated the least in our life. Like both of our grandfathers' names was Harry. And I know that we were trying to find a connection of Mark's service to be part of Harry's name. And I think at one time he said Matt. And actually, I think I might have said, what about Locke? You know, it's a really interesting name and it, it carries so much weight because it doesn't just reflect the fact that Mark wants to have Matt Locke's legacy stay with him and our family forever. But I think it also is that time of his service, which is with us forever. And so it carries through Harry because Harry is affected by the positives, by the challenges that Mark faces. And, you know, what I truly do hope is that Mark is open with him because that the power for me in our relationship is that Mark has been open with me. And because of that, we can work through all the challenges that we may face. If Mark wasn't open with me, I would have no level of understanding to allow our family to work through some of those things, or I wouldn't be able to have the degree of compassion. I hope I haven't just shared the challenges I wouldn't be walking my life hand by hand with someone if I didn't believe that, you know, I have a lot of respect for the military and I have a lot of respect for the relationships they had and the skills that they learned. And But what I think is most powerful about Mark is that he's a transformer and he can move beyond challenging circumstances and he can reinvent himself. And I think that's what his secret weapon is. On that note, Sam, of the power of transformation and that positive outlook, do you have any words for partners or families of veterans who might be listening? Oh, that's a hard one because I think everyone goes through something different. What I would say is like, you know, one of our biggest challenges, you know, Mark can be moody because he sits with the weight of some of his experiences and everyday situations can trigger him in a different way. And I normally have very little tolerance for moodiness because I am one of those annoyingly positive people. So my natural response is to go, come on, just be happy, which is probably the worst thing to say to someone who is not feeling happy in a certain moment. I have learned to be patient. And whilst he's in that state, I just give him space. But then we always revisit it because I think What's been helpful for my relationship with Mark is him understanding how it makes me feel. The last thing that Mark ever wants is for me to feel upset or for his mood to bring me down. But I don't try and address it in the very moment. We both try and create space in that moment. You know, I'll go for a run or whatever it is. Or I just won't call it out, but later I'll call it out. And I think Again, that's just helping our open line of communications because he's dealing with stuff, but it does affect me. And so I think it's helped him move positively through it because, as I said, like the last thing he wants is for me to feel negative about it. Sam, I think anyone listening will agree with me that you've gone from being reality TV show celebrity power couple to real life aspirational couple. 
I am very grateful for the depth, the authenticity, and the honesty you've shared with me today, but also that absolutely, yes, acknowledging the challenges and then the path you two can keep walking together positively. Yeah. And thanks so much for, you know, I don't often get asked about how I feel about these things, but when we meet people, like people always want to know about Mark's military background, but not many people want to understand the role that it might play in a family structure. And because I wasn't with Mark during the time of his service, I think that they forget that it still affects his life now and it still obviously affects his family. So thanks for just asking your questions. Sam, where can people find you on social media? And I also know you've just launched a podcast. I think we should also acknowledge. Oh, thanks. I'm pretty active on Instagram and it's just my name at Samantha Gash. I have a website, which is samanthagash.com and the links to my podcast, which is Sam Gash podcast, you know, it's on iTunes, Spotify, but you can just find it also on my website. So I've just started, I'm a new person to the space, but I, like you, am drawn to understanding I don't just love hearing like what people have done. I like to understand like why they do what they do and where it comes from and how our past defines who we are in the present and how it will affect our future. So I speak to a lot of people in like the endurance space, but also just people that I find interesting. So I'm enjoying that process of learning to listen as well. Samantha Gash, thanks for coming on Life on the Line. More of that music in just a moment. My warm thanks go to Samantha for coming on the show. I also encourage you to go back and listen to my interview with Mark Wales. They were building positions in there for a fight. And so in that battle, one of our guys was shot and killed. I did not know it at the time, but Mark was holding a few stories back about his time in uniform and his transition out of it. He was happy for Sam and I to talk about some of those challenges in our chat today. He said it was her story as much as his. But as for the detail, I'll leave that to Mark to tell in the future. Follow this podcast at Life on the Line Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at LOTL Pod on Twitter. Our website is www.lifeonthelinepodcast.com and you can email us at podcast at lifeonthelinepodcast.com. Life on the Line is brought to you by Thistle Productions. Artwork by Big Cat Design. Theme music by Dan Van Werkhoven. Closing music, Meanwhile, by SAS original rock band, The Externals. Thanks for listening, and lest we forget. Meanwhile, he's tripping out, so she takes a car.
Yeah.